Hey, this is Chip from The Real Dirt. On today's Dirt, I have Michael Wago. Mike is a hemp industry expert. He helps people grow hemp as well as market their hemp products. He's one of the co-founders of iHempX, which is an online marketplace for all things hemp. Sit back and uh, listen to one of my favorite subjects on cannabis is hemp. Hemp can save the world. If you were on a desert island, you would want definitely some hemp seeds to help you out. You know, of course, some OG Kush seeds would probably do pretty good too. But uh, hemp can really can save the world from fiber, fuel, cosmetics, plastics. CBD is medication. CBG, it has so many benefits. And it's really exciting to see it being grown on such a large, large scale. I really look forward to uh, the future where lots of research comes out of cannabis, cannabis hemp. Hey, if you like this episode and others, please download it at therealdirt.com or Real Dirt iTunes. And uh, yeah, man, sit back, fire one up and uh, listen to me and Mike chat about hemp. Mike Luego. Hey, how's it going, Mike? Oh, going well, Chip. How are you doing? Oh, going good, man. Just enjoying a foggy day here in Humboldt. Where am I talking to you from? I'm on Carbondale, Colorado right now. Blue skies and sunny. So Mike is co-founder of the International Hemp Exchange. And we've had Adrian Zalusky on The Real Dirt once before speaking about the International Hemp Exchange right when you guys were going to launch it last year. Man, can you tell me how uh, how it's going and what the International Hemp Exchange is? Yes, sir. Yeah, it's been going great. We're going on about two years now since our first launch, and we've been getting a great reaction from the industry. We're filling a much-needed gap in connecting the dots of the supply chain and helping buyers and sellers of hemp and hemp-derived products find one another. A really exciting adventure. We got into it as uh, the industry was just emerging here in Colorado and seeing the transformation a couple of years has been uh, quite remarkable. So uh, we feel fortunate to be here and to be a part of it and uh, getting to hang out with so many great people like yourself, Chip. Yeah, me and Mike met several years ago in the um, oh supply chain industry for the hydroponics equipment. Mike owned a store or was part of a store up in Boulder, Colorado, and we reconnected over the hemp exchange. Something that's it sounds super exciting to me. It is super exciting. I know you guys have been successful at it. Hey, let's explain to people how it works. Say I have a bunch of hemp or CBD extract and I want to sell it or buy it. How does it work? Well, we actually just launched a new wholesale platform to target this exact sort of scenario. So we offer a a free platform where people in the industry with businesses can set up an account, verify that they're a legitimate business in the industry, then transact both as a buyer or a seller of products. So they cause you to put up postings for your specific extract, for seeds, for clones, for biomass, for high-end uh, smokable flour, and the list goes on, then we bring the, the counterparts to the table. So whether you uh, need to buy or sell, the exchange kind of helps facilitate that. And this new wholesale exchange 
is uh, free to use. It doesn't uh, involve a brokerage fee. It doesn't involve a membership fee. And we're hoping to keep it that way. So uh, it's really about kind of servicing the need for the industry to really have access to, you know, congregating in, in one spot in a centralized hub to compare market rates, compare quality, and find verified and trusted sellers. Let's run an example scenario because I think I got what you're saying is say I'm a hemp farmer and I just grew, I don't know, 100 tons of industrial hemp and I want to sell it. I joined the International Hemp Exchange that doesn't cost any money. I just sign on, log in, and then I post on it that I have 100 tons of industrial hemp for sale. Correct. And, and our exchange is really going to allow the seller to really categorize and specify the qualifications of their lots very, you know, in a very specific manner. So rather than, you know, a, a Craigslist posting that's a photo and a description, this is going to categorize it so that we've got consistency and standardization across the industry so that people are speaking the same language. So it's going to have details about moisture content, how it was grown, how it was harvested, how it's stored. So that there's going to be kind of standard criteria across different product categories so that it's not just this subjective nature that can often occur where people are just trying to describe super unique attributes to their particular product where it's this is becoming a lot more commoditized, especially when you're talking about farmers that might have 100 tons of something. This is curated to some degree then because of that. You make them fill out a questionnaire. Is that what happens here? It's not a questionnaire, but we've spent a lot of time with our technology partner developing this classification and categorization. So rather than just a, a blanket statement about a crop, somebody's going to choose the category. They're going to choose uh, industrial herd. Uh, then they're going to give specifications for how it was grown, harvested, stored, moisture content, and any other relevant specifics to that particular type of product. And on the type of product that you're uploading, we've got a set of specifications and standardizations to accompany it so that we can compare products in kind of more routine fashion rather than having more potential for a customer to be confused, if that makes sense. We'd like mm -hmm. these to appear to be more, more standard and, and similar than they are different, because that's really where we are as an industry in hemp right now is that there's so much volume compared to the marijuana side of the plant that these lots are, are really increasing in size and magnitude. We need a market to reflect that and allow these commercial industrial buyers to, you know, have faith, consistency in what they're buying. What are some of the things people sell? All types of hemp products or raw materials? Like what, what do people sell? Yeah, really seed to finished goods. You know, right now being that it's, you know, middle of May, we're selling a lot of seed, a lot of clone. We've got a lot of inquiries coming in for both. So farmers that are getting started are, you know, if they don't already have a plan of attack in place, now is kind of that uh, the, the final weeks where they can get their ducks in a row. So a lot of people scrambling to get their genetics or fill some extra acres and that sort of thing. As the summer progresses, you know, we're getting more into the dry season, the longest period since our last harvest. So people are seeking out biomass to keep their processing equipment running. There's certain types of extracts that are becoming higher in demand with the way the market's uh, expanding right now. So there's consistent demand for those types of products. 
And then as we roll into the fall, we're going to have another huge surplus of raw hemp and people looking to pay off their investments in their crops for the season and looking to move raw material, whether that's for CBD extraction, industrial uses, uh, extracted CBD products and more. But we get to that phase and then even beyond that, when it comes to finished products and private labeling and custom products, there's a lot of connections in the industry that are being made right now to help companies set up their new product lines and find the right manufacturing partners and tell the right supply chain stories. So we've got our our hands in a lot of different things and it's really anywhere from seed to the final shelf. We can kind of help companies find their appropriate counterparts and allow them to, to grow in this industry that's expanding so much right now. So it seems like this is a great way for market pricing to kind of develop instead of, you know, just one guy on this side of the country saying he wants this much for his product and a guy on this side of the country saying he wants this much, a standardization starts to take place over or the overpricing and, and quality and packaging. Exactly. And that's what's so desperately needed in the industry right now and is really going to encourage some of these big players that are on the sidelines right now thinking about getting in to make that jump is some consistency, some standardization, and confidence in the hemp supply chain right now. So we're hoping to fill that gap a little bit and increase that confidence level so that these these major industries that are interested in making moves in, in the hemp world can feel that confidence and, and make that leap. So, man, we, we kind of just hop right into the business aspect, which is, you know, I'm always excited about business and want to see how people function in their businesses. But let's back it up a little bit. Let's talk about what's going on with hemp and why things have been changing so rapidly since this Farm Bill Act of 2014. Maybe we can start there. Uh, so, yeah, let's back it up. In, in 2014, when the Farm Bill Act passed, it allowed for cultivation in states that adopted pilot programs. And so Colorado was, was one of those states, once again, on the forefront of the cannabis plant, advocating for, for hemp growing, cultivation, processing, product manufacturing, and more. And uh, really allowed the industry to kind of take root here in Colorado and start to flourish. And being right next to the medical marijuana industry that was uh, taking root in Colorado and, and thriving, we had a head start on genetics. So we were able to take some of the existing CBD genetics and hemp genetics that were out there, kind of play with them in the in the medical marijuana realm and end up with some some interesting combinations of high CBD, low THC hemp genetics that have done quite well for the hemp industry and the, and the CBD industry. So that's kind of where it's evolved from here in, in Colorado. Colorado's really been leading the way, and it, it still is the... It's the epicenter of CBD extraction and hemp growing in the U.S. Let's talk about what hemp is. Hemp is, it is cannabis. It's the same plant that ganja comes from, but it has no THC in it or it has low THC. You want to explain the the specificity of that? Low THC, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, so uh, as best as I can, I'll try there. And, you know, it's kind of this arbitrary number that that came about a long time ago that says 0.3% THC is that 
line in the sand for the cannabis plant where beyond 0.3, it's considered marijuana. Under 0.3, it's considered hemp. So like you said, it's all cannabis sativa at the end of the day. But, you know, these different attributes have different effects you know, put it on one side of the law or the other, you know. And so if, if we take a step back from that and look at what we were growing in the U.S. for hemp when we colonized this country and for the early days of settlement here, you know, that was what we refer to, you know, as our granddaddy's hemp, you know, the tall, skinny hemp that was used for fiber, for textiles, for ropes, maybe a little bit of flower and seed at the top of the plant, but tall and skinny, you know, looks more like bamboo than what most of us would consider cannabis or marijuana or ganja. But what's happened these days post 2014 is kind of a convergence of the two. So we're taking some of the attributes of hemp that we like, which is the low THC characteristics and combining it with plants that have really high medicinal attributes, but lowering the THC values down. And now we're looking at a a version of hemp that looks, grows, smells, tastes like more than it does what people would consider hemp. It's really an interesting time in seeing these two sides of cannabis kind of converge into a, a new version of hemp that's, you know, some people are calling it medicinal hemp, medicinal CBD, you know, really is harnessing a lot of the medicinal attributes of the plant and lowering the THC levels so that it can be mass cultivated and extracted for, you know, similar oils and medical benefits that we've been seeing from the plant for a long time. So it's kind of a a fascinating time to really be involved in the hemp industry and seeing this all take place because We're at this point where genetics and strains are exploding out of here, where, you know, people are growing all sorts of new things and finding out what works well in what different states and uh, what different countries even and finding the best attributes of this plant and, you know, sharing that around. So it's been really cool to see and we anticipate seeing a lot more of it over coming years. So when people are growing hemp for CBD production, it has 0.03 or less THC in it. But this stuff looks like ganja. It doesn't look like or planted like industrial hemp, right? Correct. That's why we've kind of coined it, you know, our grandparents hemp of 1937 or, or before and modern day, you know, medicinal hemp, high CBD hemp, whatever you want to call it. But it's You know, it's still uh, an industrial hemp product, but it's a different type of industrial hemp than what we've known for textile or fiber or seed production or that sort of thing. So it's a new category of hemp. Yeah, I often talk to people about hemp. They're a little confused over it. Even the farmers, they want to grow industrial hemp, but they're growing it for CBD extraction. And they pick up these books from the 40s or from Eastern Europe or from Australia that talks about how to grow industrial hemp. And industrial hemp does grow differently than we're growing hemp for CBD production. The industrial hemp, you plant it 100 seeds to the square meter and you don't have to water it or fertilize it if you don't want to. You can often get more than one crop a year because you're just farming it for fiber. But for a CBD hemp, we plant it differently. We plant it in you know, larger spacing per plant. You're trying to grow the flowers and not the stalk. So the plants look different. There's more vegetative growth on it. 
Can you give us some insight maybe into the type of modern CBD genetics that are popular that people buy through the International Hip Exchange? Sure, uh, I can try it. And, you know, like I said, it continues to be changing quite rapidly. So what was hip last year is kind of fading out of style and new genetics are emerging. So much of a track record that we can't, that, that we can really feel a ton of confidence in it because a lot of this stuff is only uh, a couple seasons old, but there's a lot of strains out there that are are pretty popular right now. Things like cherry, cherry wine, auto two, berry blossom, the number five, Bayox. You know that's another one of the original ones from Colorado. There's one called T one Spectrum. So there's a lot of genetics, and I'm missing a lot more than I named right there. But we're seeing a lot of new ones emerge and people are trying to get more, you know, seasons under their belt and more, you know, indoor grows under their belt so they can really figure out what these genetics are going to do. But we're dealing with such a small level of THC at that 0.3% mark that different conditions, different fertilizers, all these things can have an effect on that level. So what might be tried and true for one farmer isn't always going to be tried and true for the next farmer. So it's challenging for people that are getting into the industry for that reason. And everybody has to take what they read or what they hear with a grain of salt or, or a cup of salt to balance out the reality with some of the expectations that some of these people have. So these are all independent people doing genetic research and supplying seeds for the industry. One of the number one things I hear people talk about is, you know, this fear of getting seeds that, quote, test hot, quote. Can you tell me about the reality of that? Maybe what test hot means? Right. And that's kind of what I was just hinting at there with, you know, it not being identical from farm to farm or indoors to outdoors, et cetera. But going hot means exceeding that zero three percent mark. And then depending on what state you're in, the effects can be different. Here in Colorado, if you've done everything right up until the point, the Department of Ag is working on a system right now that would hopefully allow farmers to extract that material still, remove the THC and still get it to market. But right now that doesn't exist. So so you don't get in trouble, though. You don't get in trouble. It's the, under the definition in Colorado, you're supposed to destroy the crop. And right now, both sides of the table are trying to see if there's some common ground in the middle where the crop could still be put to use rather than destroyed. But as far as I know, that hasn't been resolved as of yet. But yeah, no, people aren't getting in trouble for going hot if the right steps were taken. You know, if, if it seems like somebody's operating outside the system and trying to grow something else or grow it purposefully hot, I think that there are some repercussions in place. That's not really happening, though. That's There's a lot of fear there. People are testing over the 0.03% in Colorado and other states, and uh, mostly their crop just gets cut down. Right. Right. Do you know if there's a statistic on the number of people that have tested high for THC in Colorado? I remember seeing some figures from last season and the number was not that high. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the farms that had tested high had uh, some significant acreage, but overwhelmingly farmers in Colorado passed with the Department of Ag and their testing for THC levels. So there's a lot of different factors, though, that need to be considered as a farmer because part of that 
plays into when you decide to harvest. You need to specify that date with the Department of Ag and the test is going to occur before that date. So if farmers decide that they're going to try and let their crop go really long or forget to file that document in time, they could get into a situation where they're harvesting their crop late and the levels are getting kind of high. Right. So what goes on here is I'm a farmer and it's August and I I see that my plants are starting to fill out. The smart farmer then starts to test his industrial hemp to see the CBD levels and the THC levels. And then I would decide some date where I I call the state up to come and test my crop pre-harvest. And they come out and test it, and then they they give me a period of time in order to uh, harvest the cannabis. And that's really how, you know, people stay under that level. If they would maybe just, like, let it go to maturation before they test it, you think they would, some people would be testing hot? Absolutely. I think a lot of these strains uh, would like to exceed that 0.3 level. Not by a lot, but probably up to 0.5, 0.6 if you let them go to full maturity. So that's really what's going on here is that people are just having to cut plants early in order to keep it below those levels. And another point that should be addressed is, you know, everything you just said was right about the Department of Ag. And when they come out to test it, you have a period of time after that before you're supposed to be harvesting. And so the Department of Ag can test a a crop and it might be at 0.2 or 0.25 or 0.28. And then you still have that crop growing for X amount of weeks before it gets harvested. Sometimes it exceeds that 0.3 number, but would still be a legal crop by definition with a Colorado Department of Ag because it was under 0.3 when they came out and tested. So we don't have a perfect system. And that's a, a reason why some of the product that's on the market is over 0.3, or if you test the tip of compared to the whole plant, you might exceed that 0.3 value, but it's still considered a legal crop. So there's a lot of education. There's a lot of misinformation out there right now. And, you know, conversations like this help to kind of explain it or at least let people know that there isn't a perfect answer. And, you know, here's how people seem to be doing it right now. And, Uh, We're working through these issues. Most of the hemp in Colorado is grown for CBD extraction. What about the other industrial hemp uses? Uh, Have you begun to see uh, industry develop out of that? We're seeing more and more, which is really exciting. There's a lot of infrastructure investment that needs to happen to make a lot of the industrial applications scalable and worthy of investing in right now. So it's kind of this chicken and the egg uh, scenario right now where in order for all these farmers to really be able to flip the switch and start growing industrial, they need buyers, they need end applications, and they need the facilities that can turn it into such. So there's a number of groups right now that are beginning to invest in in facilities to do those sorts of things. And we're seeing some really cool applications begin to emerge. Uh, Not too long ago, we met with uh, a group that's doing some really amazing bioplastics. And so they're taking uh, industrial herd and industrial byproduct from uh, the food industry and turn it into hemp bioplastics. So that's going to be a a really cool emerging category. There's other food products, oil products, seed products 
that are on the market and have been on the market that continue to grow as categories. And we see a lot of enthusiasm and support around the industrial side, but we're still, you know, probably a, a season or two away from a lot of these companies adopting and investing uh, in the industrial side, uh, like we hope they do. Hempcrete is going to be a huge one, and that can be done on a local level everywhere that hemp starts growing and can start replacing bills and giving, you know, a, a better product uh, that's more sustainable to communities. So hempcrete's awesome. The, the food and pet categories are, are really awesome, in my opinion. There's so many amazing things that hemp can do for, you know, our animal friends and for the food that we put in our own bodies. So you can look at any industry and start talking about the fascinating ways that hemp is going to be able to come in and change it. And we just need to keep this momentum headed in the right direction and it'll happen. Absolutely. You know, so many people think hemp and textiles, but uh, really textile industry in this country is mostly moved overseas. Uh, but there's so many other things associated with hemp, man, the the hempcrete, the plastics, the food, the animal food, like just so many. I'm drinking a, a hemp smoothie right now, Mike, as a matter of fact. <laughs> nice. uh, there's just so, so many like great. Yeah, I'm, I'm hemp, totally hemp powered, bro. I get a, a, a hemp protein smoothie almost every day. Right. But it's all Canadian hemp seed, right? It's not U.S. hemp seed yet. Correct. Most of what we're seeing right now is Canadian from the food side and uh, Canada is going to be a, a really interesting market to see take off on the CBD side because they've got so much experience growing and farming hemp up there, uh, but they haven't been able to utilize the CBD side of the plant. So this year, it sounds like they're going to be able to start utilizing that, which is going to have a pretty significant global effect on the CBD market and supply. So yeah, Canada is certainly a player when it comes to hemp. Dude, let's talk about the CBD isolate movement. <laughs> sure. I'm happy to talk about it. It's been uh, crazy to see the explosion of interest and demand for CBD isolates. So I don't know what your experience has been, but ours has been a, a wild ride. How much did CBD isolate cost the first time you heard about it? First time I heard about it, I think it was probably, you know, up around $30,000 a kilo. And so for a lot of people, I, I was late to the game. But, you know, what are you hearing for prices these days? I heard a $4,500 price the other day, but I think they're buying baby powder. Yeah, I, I hear <laughs> prices. I should have said, what prices are you actually seeing? <laughs> yeah, man. So uh, CBD isolate is 96 or 99% pure CBD extract it has no THC in it, and it's a common and easily used thing for um, or ingredient in foods, pharmaceuticals, salves, uh, all of that type of stuff. Its demand is incredible right now. People call us every day asking about it or want to know about it. You know, we hear these outrageous stories of CBD isolate sales that that we don't necessarily think of a real little inside joke between me and Mike here. Yeah, I'd have to agree with everything you just said there, Chip. The, the isolate the demand has gotten so high that there's, you know, some of it's artificial, some of it's real, but the 
impression it's giving to the industry is that there's a lot more demand than there is supply. And so you've got people that actually need product. You've got people that want to invest speculatively. You've got people that think they, you know, somehow are one week into the industry and uncovered, you know, a a billion dollars stash of isolate that's sitting in some random warehouse in LA. And so the the stories go on and on about, you know, people saying they've got this incredible supply or this incredible demand or hundreds of millions of dollars sitting in an escrow account. And it's, it's hard to know what to believe these days. So, yeah, there's a lot of in, inside jokes to be had. Yeah, we do not see it enough in the marketplace, that's for sure, for the volume of the isolate to actually be trading at the level that it's trading at. I know labs who sell the product for you know, 7,000 bucks for a kilo, $7 a gram. Seems like a reasonable price when I talk to them on what it takes for them to make that product. It doesn't seem like they're making a bunch of profit in it, honestly. Everybody's got their different opinion on money. It's definitely growing in demand and conversation. That's absolutely for sure. Correct. And, and what I always say is, you know, if the real labs out there have a line out their door of people interested in buying it every day at market rate, then why are these, you know, mysterious labs that nobody's heard of interested in selling at so much below market rate when the demand is so easy to find? You know, I would think that somebody investing that sort of uh, money and time and energy into this industry would understand that they're leaving a lot of money on the table if they're selling product at 4500 bucks right now. So to me, it just seems like there's a, a lot of people getting kind of sucked into phantom deal flow and, and artificial supply um, and falling for the hype. And, you know, every every month we get a new wave of people that seem to be, you know, a week or two into the industry that somehow have access to a billion dollars worth of product. Uh, none of us could find the week before. And, you know, it was amusing for a while. And now it's become uh you know, uh, a little unsettling and quite a bit of a time waster. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, we get to giggle about the uh, supposed 800 kilo a week deals and fabrications. We hear people pull out of their, their arse, so to speak. Hey man, if you've got like that big of a CBD isolate, deal give me a call let's chat about it man i'd like to exactly know, i'd like to hear about it dude you know uh all different types of ways to make this product all different places it's going to i'm interested in it so give me a call up chip at the real dirt.com and uh, we'll chat what do you think about that mike <laughs> good. good plug oh shit good plug good plug good plug good plug so uh man you, you got some predictions for hemp and CBD right now? You know, the predictions are up and to the right. If you're looking at a graph right now, this thing's growing like crazy and there's more farmers across the country jumping in, increasing acreage. How many states um, are getting legal? Getting their hands dirty with genetics. And uh, I, uh, I, I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. I should. Yeah, it's somewhere around 30, 34, now, something like that. Programs and something like that. Yeah. So and there is a high probability Right now that one of the few uh, topics that Democrats and Republicans are going to agree on this year is going to be legalizing hemp. So if that happens, we're just going to see gangbuster growth over the upcoming years. 
Um, and what that means is more farmers that need genetics, looking for seeds, looking for clones, looking for a track record there. You're going to have people that are trying to figure out, uh, you know, best practices when it comes to farming and cultivation in these different states and climates. We're going to see more equipment emerge for planting it, for harvesting it. And then we're going to continue to see hemp be the kind of game-changing uh, play in a lot of the extraction technologies that are hitting it, hitting the cannabis market just due to the sheer volume of product that we have to extract over on the hemp side. Um, the, the processing world is, you know, I don't know that uh, most of them were expecting this surge in hemp extraction equipment and the, the scale of the equipment that was going to be needed to accomplish that. My predictions are that it's going to be big. It's going to be know, big. Yeah, my predictions are like, we're going to have a ton of hemp this year. We're going to have more hemp than, you know, we've ever a grown in the U.S. A shit ton uh, and it's of not going to be enough. Yeah. A shit ton. <laughs> you know, in the fall is going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of farmers panicking that they're not going to be able to sell their crop because there's so much on the market. And when it comes, you know, this time next year and next summer, I think we're going to be seeing another shortage in high quality hemp, especially American grown. So uh, it's going to be the uh, fascinating roller coaster of up and downs. Um, so, you know, be patient if you're jumping in as a farmer, if you've got to ride that, that wave and sell your crop uh, in the fall when, uh, when it's all hitting the market, you need to line that up ahead of time or uh, know that you're not going to get top dollar for your crop as a result. What's the span in pricing? It's almost comical. Like it's, you know, anywhere from 10 bucks a pound for some really low quality hemp that could still be possibly extracted, you know, uh, just a, maybe a couple percentage points of CBD all the way up to a few hundred dollars a pound for really high quality trimmed boutique smokable hemp. Uh, we're seeing a lot of product in the 50 to $100 a pound range, I would say, has kind of been the sweet spot for the CBD crops. On the industrial side, it's, it's, a, it's a totally different ballgame. And, you know, we're not seeing as much pricing on that side. A few people that are in the industrial world are typically kind of connected with a processing outlet for the product. But And the CBD is all over the place. There is no consistency. There is no market rate. People are talking about their product, presenting their product in so many different ways that it's kind of hard to know what you're getting until you actually have received it and take it to you know a third-party lab to get your own results. Right. There's no standardization in how people are, are packing it or selling it at all? Zero. <laughs> you know, we see everything, 55-gallon drums to garbage bags to paper bags to 275-gallon and everything in between. So people are, some people keep it on the plant and just chop the plant at the base and dry that and sell the whole plant. Some people are removing the flower and leaf from the stock and selling that. And that's often referred to as kind of like a shucked plant material. Some people are separating flower from leaf. Some people are grinding the whole plant up and nobody is, is talking about it the same way. So every time we have a conversation with somebody, you know, we almost have to assume that there's going to be very little overlap of how we refer to different parts of the plant or way it's, you know, processed or, or grown and kind of have to make sure we're speaking the same language almost every time. So the industry could certainly use some form of standardization. 
This is so exciting to so many people. You know, uh, uh, many people love hemp, love uh, the environmental. I don't even quite know what to call it. The the aspect of hemp to use hemp for paper, to use hemp for textiles, to use hemp as a bio uh, mediation crop. Hemp is is such an exciting plant. Hemp and coconuts. I've said this forever. Could could change the world if we just use them for all of the things they have to offer. It's really awesome to see it starting to happen here, man. You got any predictions for the next five years for hemp? I think over the next five years that uh, we're going to see hemp uh, become a lot more commonplace in our daily lives. I think it's going to become more widely accepted across the country, across the world. And we're going to see it in corner stores, restaurants, grocery stores, you know, doctor's offices. We're going to start to really recognize and, and, and value the importance of this plan and what it can do for us as a society, you know, for a food source, for a medicine, uh, for building materials. You know, we've really kind of shot ourselves in the foot over the last, you know, 80 years, 60, 70, 80 years by not allowing us to grow and study it because there's so many uses that sometimes it's embarrassing when we start talking to people that, that aren't familiar because you suddenly sound like a snake oil salesman that says mm-hmm. it can do everything. But the reality is uh, it can touch every industry out there and benefit it and give us a more sustainable option for producing so many pieces of our daily lives. So uh, as that becomes accepted and adopted, we're going to see it and we're going to be talking about it. Farmers are going to have the opportunity to grow it. It's a miraculous crop to grow. Uh, and right now and for the foreseeable future, it's going to be more valuable to farmers than what they've been growing, than alfalfa, than hay, than some of these soybean and corn crops. And hemp is going to be a viable alternative that can stay in their community, that can help their neighbors uh, and really have an impact on things. And that's, you know, I think missing in in a lot of people's lives right now is doing things that actually uh, have an impact and hemp has such an opportunity to have an impact in so many different ways to different people. So well said. Hey, Mike, I want to thank you for joining me today. I really enjoyed chatting with you and and maybe in in the future we can have you down to the uh, real dirt studios in Denver and uh, have have a proper hemp smoke out. There we go. I like that idea. It's been a pleasure being here, Chip. I appreciate you taking the time to talk hemp and have me on the show. Do it in person next time and have some fun. Oh, yeah, man. Hemp hooray. Thanks, Mike. (laughs) Hemp, hemp hooray. Chip, you have a great day. And that was a hemp wrap, so to speak. It was a great episode with Mike. Thanks, Mike, for joining us. And uh, thank you all for listening. Another episode of The Real Dirt. I tell you, man, after talking to Mike, I'm so excited about hemp and hemp farming and what hemp can really do here in the U.S. Man, I tell you, it's just so exciting to see hemp growing in Colorado and Oregon and many of the other states. There's 30 plus other states that have legal hemp laws, Tennessee, Kentucky, North Carolina. It's literally spreading all over the U.S. and it's just really beautiful to see. If you're out there in the world... Colorado or one of the other hemp states and you uh, see some really green looking plants out in the distance it just may be hemp thanks again for joining me 
If you'd like to uh, download other episodes of The Real Dirt, check us out at therealdirt.com, The Real Dirt Podcast on iTunes, and check out our Instagram, The Real Dirt Podcast. Thanks again. <laughs>